Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. My guest today is Katie Hornung. Katie Hornung is a campaign coordinator for Virginia's statewide, nonpartisan, grassroots Virginia Ratify ERA, that's VA Ratify ERA campaign, to ensure Virginia is the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And if you've been paying attention, she was successful. Her passion on the topic stems from her own life experiences and the interest of her two daughters in achieving constitutional equality. I know we take it for granted, but if it's not the law of the land, it isn't. As a campaign manager, she leverages her professional background, accounting, finance, software coding, and consulting, her relationships with a wide variety of Virginians, and a deeper understanding of historical context gained by homeschooling her daughters. So, welcome Katie Hornung to The Reasonable Voices. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, and congratulations, by the way, on getting the Virginia General Assembly to be the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, but the campaign is not over yet, is it? No, the work is never done. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it seems to, to those of us who so agree with gender equality that it should be a constitutional right but there are still people who just can't seem to let go of what, Katie? What is it that's stopping men and some women, too, from joining you? And I think that there is, for some people, there's definitely a religious component, it seems. Um, and for others, it seems like there's just some level of denial where they feel like the 14th Amendment should cover everybody so we're all fine, mm. even though that's the first place in the Constitution that the word male appears. Yes. Obviously done to write women out, you know, 100 years ago. Yes. So it, but I, I think there's, there's, there's kind of, you're stuck between those two paradigms. Some people who say, well, no, actually, I really don't think that you are equal and we really shouldn't be, you know, putting this into our Constitution. And then others who say, oh, it's all fine. Everything's fine. We don't need to do anything. 
and the reality is, I, you know, in my opinion, they're, they're both wrong. We yes. all need to be working for equality. We all need to fight against discrimination all the time in all its forms. Yes, I agree. But it seems at this point the U.S. Congress is sort of imitating Virginia's General Assembly with, when it comes to ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. That sticking point which has plagued, I guess, everyone like yourself who's been working toward gender equality in the Constitution. And that is that arbitrary deadline date. Is, is yeah. That's part of the hang-up, too? Yeah, there was a deadline inserted kind of at the last minute back in the 70s, and um, it has been changed once before. And it's in the preamble, so it's not in the wording of the amendment, which means that when the states ratify it, none of the states have, you know, essentially been uh, restating that deadline as a part of their ratification. Uh Um, That's all the other deadlines that have been used in the Constitution and in amending the Constitution, the deadlines were in the amendment itself. Mm -hmm. This one is a little bit funky. Um, And, you know, Article 5 gives the legislative branch complete control over amending the Constitution, and when it when you really boil it down, it just comes down to do the largely men group sitting in Congress mm-hmm. agree that we should add gender equality into our Constitution, or are they going to fall back on little excuses? And you know, here in Virginia, they fell back on excuses for a long time, and the excuses just started sounding just more and more flimsy as time went on. And I think we're going to see it in Congress where we have a a redo of that, where they'll pass it in one chamber, just like we passed it in one chamber, and then it'll get hung up in the other chamber with a refusal to let it to the floor, even though we have the votes to pass it on the floor, which is, it's exactly what happened here in Virginia. Exactly. And we should mention that the U.S. House of Representatives did indeed pass well, what they passed was to remove the date, yes? Yes. Okay. Uh, on February 13th, they um, they made a resolution to remove the arbitrary deadline. Okay. So we're once again halfway there almost. How's that? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it feels familiar, doesn't it? It does, I tell you. Uh, well, but we, we jump for joy, I'll tell you, many of us uh, on the 13th of February, no question. And it's not new for you, for those in the fight and those that you, with whom you work and your friends, uh, you know, who who are were there in Virginia, also there in the gallery and in the Congress. We all know that you keep plodding away. Someone asked me to record the Attorney General Herring's statement on it, but I, I think it was in that that it was made very clear that this is not going away. You're not going to give up. And every time that you've been thrown a hurdle... And one of the biggest hurdles we should mention, the late Supreme Court Justice Scalia simply said, and I don't think with rancor, he's just he was just a literalist, and the, he stated a fact, and that is, in the Constitution of the United States, women are not equal. And there then was the challenge, the gauntlet, if you will. So... Tell us again, the 14th Amendment, we know what it did and didn't do, but even the women's right to vote. Talk to us about those two amendments and why we can't seem to get it. Yeah, so if you read the 14th Amendment, you would see that it is largely an anti-discriminatory amendment, and it's intended to set Americans equal and and to provide that equality in the Constitution so that when court cases are brought in the judicial branch, it will be bumped up against a constitutional amendment that says, yes, indeed, these are good laws and that they should be allowed and considered constitutional. 
However, it was the first spot in the Constitution that they added the word male, and that was done because at the time they felt like adding equality for women was just a bridge too far mm. for the, the community at large, and that it wouldn't be approved if it covered gender equality as well. And so if you go back, and, and we do have uh, justices who are originalists, if you go back and look at what was the intention with the 14th Amendment, it was not intended to declare all women equal in rights and stature uh, to all men in society, which is why we had to have the 19th Amendment. You know, five amendments later, mm. we had to enfranchise the women's right to vote, and we had to have another amendment because the prior amendment did not cover women. And so given that history and that backstory, that's why we need the Equal Rights Amendment. Currently in the judicial branch, they do not recognize gender equality as having the same level of scrutiny um, in a case as they do for race, religion, or country of origin. And especially whenever I hear somebody who's saying that we don't need the Equal Rights Amendment, um, they don't really have a good response when confronted with, well then, you know, without it, we don't have the same level of scrutiny in the court system for gender equality, and why is that okay? Okay, um, I, I'm going to cut in because I, I've, I know this, and I've, even, I've heard it many times, but the way you just put this, can you break that down for us? Women do not have in the judicial branch what exactly? Yeah, so when a woman is bringing a case of gender discrimination, and it's usually a woman bringing the case, it could be a man, but it's usually a woman, and when she is fighting a case of gender discrimination, there's basically, there's something that they call intermediate scrutiny. They kind of came up with this intermediate level of scrutiny. Strict scrutiny is the highest level of scrutiny. That's what's given to race, religion, and country of origin because of the 14th Amendment. And for a, a case of gender discrimination, basically the burden of proof is on the person bringing the case. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to the other types of discrimination, the burden of proof is on the government to prove that they have a government, like a, a good reason for discriminating and that the discrimination is narrowly tailored. And if they can't meet those two hurdles, then the discrimination case is found for the person bringing the case. But when it comes to gender discrimination, it's almost like you're, you're up against a, a hurdle that just can't be met because you have to prove intent, and that practically takes a smoking gun. Mm, goodness. And I know, as I said, I know what you just said. I've heard it before. I've talked to people about it before. And yet, when you just said it, it's like cold water in my face. Oh, yeah, that's right. How many women, how many men know this? How many men want their wives and their daughters to go to, to have to stand up against something like that? Do, are you educating the men and the women? I mean, do, with information like what you just said to us? Yeah, we've spent a lot of time educating, really, honestly, anybody who will listen. Yes. Um, so we've, you know, our outreach has been for everyone because the, the beauty of the Equal Rights Amendment is that it is written in a gender-neutral manner. It just means you cannot discriminate on the basis of sex. And so that should cover a man if mm. he's being discriminated against. It should cover a woman if she's being discriminated against. And if things proceed in the court system the way that they have, this should also provide protections against discrimination for someone who's transgender. Mm -hmm. So we we like to see this as just, it's, it's essentially completing what the 14th Amendment really should have done for all of us a long time ago. And it's the last little piece of civil rights that really needs to be added into our Constitution. And you know, another way in which women may not be aware, and husbands and fathers of daughters, etc., may not be aware that women are 
routinely discriminated against is in the, the medical profession. I don't mean that you can't, as a woman, become a doctor, although there are probably hurdles in, in that in place too, but I mean medical treatment, health care. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, so with healthcare, currently government money goes to do research, and that research is usually conducted on men. And so we don't really know necessarily how medicines will fare in the female body or how the female body will fare with certain medicines or treatments when the entire testing group has been men. Our chemical compositions and our hormones are different, and so it's just it's one more small example, but it has a really large impact. Yes. All right, so we have obviously you and, and the wonderful people working with you have approached uh, every level in, in various states, including Virginia, of course, the legislative branch of government. If that is refused, do we go to the judicial branch again? What, what do we do? Yeah, currently we're on a parallel track. The judicial branch, our RAG here in Virginia, has joined with the attorneys general from Illinois and Nevada, Mm -hmm. and they are bringing a suit already in the judicial branch. And so that path has already begun. Simultaneous to that, we, we already saw the deadline removed in the House of Representatives, and there is a nice bipartisan effort in the Senate between Senator Murkowski and Senator Cardin to remove the deadline in the Senate. And so what you see right now is parallel tracks. My personal guess is that the Supreme Court would love to avoid setting any precedent and ruling on things if the legislative branch will step in and remove the deadline then the judicial branch gets to say, well, Article 5 says they're in charge and they just did that, so we're good. So, I, you know, personally, I feel like the, the judicial branch, we have a really great team here in Virginia working with attorneys general from other states, and we have a lot of faith in their abilities and the cases that they're going to be bringing and the case that they're fighting against down in Alabama. But at the same time, really, the legislative branch is a great and and perhaps an even more viable opportunity because I think the justices would love to punt on setting precedent if they can Mm -hmm. and and just really just support the legislative branch doing what the legislative branch should do. And since you mentioned already that this has been, the fight has really been going on well uh, for a lot longer than, than most of us are aware, but certainly in the 70s, can you tell us how this all sort of had its first giant step forward, if we can call it that, in the 1970s? Yeah, well, I mean, women were working on this. This is the, this one amendment is the one thing that has been, it it was introduced every single year from 1923 until 1972 when it finally came out. So Mm. it it has a strong longevity in Congress before it finally came out. And when it came out, it came out very quickly with a whole lot of uh, excitement and support, and they got up to 35 states very quickly, but 38 is the magic number to have something added into the Constitution. And it stalled out when there was a lot of fear-mongering around a lot of the same stuff that even today, 50 years later, we're still hearing. Women in the military, gay marriage, uh, bathrooms, um, you know, just a lot of fairly just, uh, you know, kind of just really gross, in my opinion, yes, <laughs> like, to, yes. take a, to take something that really is intended to be an anti-discriminatory set of language and to turn that into a, a just some weird social commentary on whether or not women can serve in the military and whatever. 
you know, it, it was a lot of that, and that is a lot of what we still hear today, quite frankly. Yes. All right. We're going to take a short break. We are talking to Katie Hornung, who is the campaign coordinator for Virginia's statewide nonpartisan grassroots Virginia Ratify ERA. That's VA Ratify ERA. Uh, the campaign had its successes, that's for sure, and we're all excited about that. But, you know, 100 years, it's, I think we need to move on. Okay, let's get it done. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Katie Hornung, and we have a lot more to talk about, so don't go away. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. My guest today, Katie Hornung, the campaign coordinator for Virginia's statewide nonpartisan grassroots Virginia Ratify ERA. That's V-A-R-A-T-I-F-Y-E-R-A campaign. And we ought to remind ourselves sometimes it's the Equal Rights Amendment. But the issue is that it isn't just speeches or radio shows or TV coverage. This is feet on the ground and knocking at doors and and standing in the halls of Congress and in the General Assembly in Virginia. So, Katie, give us some idea of how things went on February 13th in the General Assembly. How did the vote come to the floor? Well, I would say that the vote coming to the floor this year really reflects a lot of work to make sure that we had a change in leadership so that the vote could come to the floor. Yes, yes. Um, We had people working around the state and doing an absolute ton of voter outreach and we were doing we had an ice cream for equality ice cream tour around the state for 11 and a half weeks yes between texting and phone calls postcards 50,000 postcards coming in from all 50 states we had a huge campaign for a you know a little crowd that doesn't usually do this type of work yes but you know this is it's a dedicated crew you know and really making sure that voters understand what's on the line whenever we say equality is on your ballot. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. We've talked about the judicial branch and what's going on in the legislative branch. How do equality champions, if you will, around the nation, we the people, what do we need to do to help this process reach some fruition? Well, we're definitely going to need to see a repeat of what happened here in Virginia to happen around the country. We have another election this November, and really we all need to act like equality is on the ballot and that it's equality for the majority of this country. Women make up the majority, but we're also the majority of the gender discrimination cases. And so we need to really talk amongst ourselves. We need to be talking with neighbors. We need to reach out to friends in other states. We've had a huge swell of support for the Equal Rights Amendment here in Virginia because it was, you know, we were the 38th state to ratify. Yes. But a lot of states haven't really talked about this since maybe the 70s because they may have already ratified or other states, there may be small groups working to get a ratification moving, but maybe they don't have the huge groundswell that, you know, Virginia over time built into. So we really need to have kind of a big effort on the education, talking especially to kids. A lot of middle-aged plus people thought this was in the Constitution, Mm. and a lot of the kids don't realize that it's not in the Constitution. And so, you know, we need to address it. We definitely... You know, America, we we always see ourselves as, you know, this amazing beacon on the hill for everybody. But when it comes to gender equality, we've been slipping in our stats as, yes. as measured by the World Economic Forum, and we've fallen out of the top third. We're no longer in the top third internationally for gender equality. Wow. Um, and, and I think we just need to start having these very real conversations about why is this? And one of the reasons, in my opinion, is that we haven't underpinned gender equality into our founding document. And it's 2020. Why are we having a hard time with that? Exactly. How do we get into the face of candidates? How do we get their attention and engage them in a conversation, if you will, about gender equality? How do we do that? Yeah, I think what what Virginians did here is what we need around the nation. We had people that were going to town halls and just not letting it go, always asking, always asking what's your position on the Equal Rights Amendment and why. And we found that a lot of our equality candidates here in Virginia, they they found that, oh, this is a really popular issue. People really support me on both sides of the aisle with this one. And I think that when you when you ask it in a public forum and when it becomes a question that people have to answer on a regular basis, mm-hmm. that that's when they will do more research, that's when they'll dig in, support it more, or have to, to say why they don't support it. And those arguments usually sound really ridiculous, so yes. that's also helpful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And remember, there's always phones are recording and going on social media and making someone's position known, whether pro or con. <laughs> is a powerful tool. I also think, and and I'm not poo-pooing online petitions, I think petitions have power and you should continue that, uh, everyone. I'm not trying to negate that, the importance of that at all. But a click of the mouse, as a congressman told me when I was talking to him in his office about this issue and others, a click of a mouse sending a petition doesn't wake them up as much as face-to-face. And you don't have to go to the halls of Congress or to the General Assembly, as Katie and others have done. But if you go to these town halls and you are there, even with a crowd of people, it is still face-to-face to that candidate who has to answer the question in front of the public in the hall, but of course, social media and wherever it can be spread. So it, it is a most powerful tool, I believe. 
I know it's a, a bipartisan organization, and but how does that mingle when there's so many key races in which uh, we need to elect legislators who are for gender equality? Is there ever a conflict in that? Um, well, we definitely, it, you know, it's it's a interesting, it's an interesting, I guess, line to walk because just like happened here in Virginia, we have the exact same situation at national where it's really the leadership who won't let it to the floor. You mm-hmm. have the votes, you have support from some of the Republicans and the Democrats, and you know that you can get it passed once it hits the floor. But without the leadership agreeing to let it to the floor, that's where the problem is. Okay. And so. What we did here in Virginia is we really took aim at just really where are the non-supportive key races. And, you know, if you're not going to support the Equal Rights Amendment and you're in a key race, you should expect to be on our list. Yes. You know, we had this situation here in Virginia with David Yancey. He had voted against his Republican leadership. And if one more Republican had shown his courage, we would have passed this in 2019. Wow. We didn't add that race onto our list from this past go-round because David Yancey was really good for gender equality and Shelley Simons, who was running against him, was very good for gender equality. So how do you say which one's better? Yes, you, yes. you know, we didn't. I mean, you have that same situation in the, at the Senate level. Um, you've got Susan Collins, who is signed on to remove the deadline. That's a key race. But whether it's the Republican winning or the Democrat winning, they're both good equality champions. Mm. There are plenty of other races that don't have equality champions running. Yes. And so we'll just keep focusing on those races. Okay, tell us more about what's happening on March 8th. Yeah, so March 8th is International Women's Day, and that is a fun, wonderful, exciting day in which we can celebrate Virginia's efforts to bring America back to the international stage for gender equality. Yes. We sadly are one of only a few countries that have not signed on to the International Bill of Rights for Women, and what, you know, they think there's about seven other countries, Iran, Sudan, South Sudan, Palau, Somalia. I mean, this is who we're in the company company of. And the reason we don't sign on to that international treaty is because we don't have the Equal Rights Amendment in our Constitution. And to sign on to that treaty, we would have to have uh, gender equality codified in our Constitution. And so um, we feel like this is a great synergy to celebrate our ratification and wanting to put the ERA into the Constitution on International Women's Day. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be hosting, we're calling it Celebrate 38, um, hosting a fun event with speakers, live music, food trucks, and a procession down to the Capitol to take a historical photo on the Capitol steps. Meaning Richmond's Capitol, Richmond, Virginia. Yes, yes, yep. How many more states we don't need anymore, but are there any who are coming on board now? Yeah, so we I think there are 12 remaining states that have not ratified, and there are efforts in all 12 of those states, and I believe that you will see that conversation ratchet up a bit in, yes. during this next election cycle. And we have a number of those states are actually going to be with us here in Richmond when we're celebrating on March 8th. We're rolling out kind of a parade talking about the different eras of equality, whether we're talking about the 19th Amendment and 1920s or Title IX or the current ratification or the future. And the unratified states are going to march in the kind of parade procession in that last section with their state flags because to put this into the Constitution, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take the whole country getting involved. Yes. So... I'm troubled by the international ramifications 
We can't even sign the, the international agreement on gender equality because in order to qualify to do so, we have to have some kind of law of the land to state that indeed we stand for gender equality. How did we get there? Besides the obvious, we don't have the Equal Rights Amendment in the Constitution yet, but I mean, or maybe I should ask the question this way. How did the, the rest of the world pass us in this? How did that happen? Well, we are the only major country in the world that does not have gender equality explicitly in our Constitution. Mm. And I think some of that is we have one of the oldest constitutions, and so it hasn't been brought up to speed. But since 1950, every new constitution that's been written anywhere in the world has included gender equality, and that includes Afghanistan, where our State Department was working with them and said, no, no, women's rights are human rights, and you have to put this in your constitution. So it's almost like it's it's an anachronistic, it was obviously a purposeful choice a long time ago, but these days we just need to take the steps to rectify this situation. Tell us, uh, just, you know, I'm still just reeling from that a bit, but how, for instance, how does the Equal Rights Am Amendment impact on and what's its mission for children? Well, I think a lot of the discrimination is going to be obviously uh, women, but yeah. women are mothers, and yes. women are, you know, we are earning money and supporting households, and many women are the only person earning money and supporting households. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we have this kind of societal blase, oh, it's, it's fine, everything's fine, and even though you're not paid the same, oh, you should just get over it, that impacts children, it impacts children a lot. A number of our legislators here in Virginia, on both sides of the aisle, when talking about their support for the Equal Rights Amendment, they referenced, and it was it tended to be male legislators referencing their single mothers and the pay gap. Yes. And that I, I did hear that on both sides of the aisle. So, um, you know, I, I think we we understand conceptually that when we underpay an entire you know majority of the country that that will impact the children and the future that those families get to, you know, pursue. And it impacts immediately the financial, the economics of any family. Because if your wife isn't making as much money as you are as a husband, you go out, you work, why would you be happy about that? I mean, what is there that's po the least bit positive about that scenario? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And you would, you would think that we would have just more across-the-board support just because of that one talking point. Yes. Um, but it, it does seem that there are some people who are very comfortable with things as they are, and change is uncomfortable, and they're just really worried about, I guess, any changes. Mm. All right. Before we go, the two things we want to know more about the VA Ratify ERA campaign how do we join? What's the website? Uh, you know, all of that. Yeah, so it's varatifyera.org, and we have a newsletter and such. Our event on March 8th is definitely going to be our great big celebratory, woo, and we're done. However, <laughs> the work continues, and we will be essentially rolling out a new branded campaign for a, kind of a nationwide grassroots strategy. So getting involved now on varatifyera.org will, um, will, will bring you along as we unveil the new strategy on March 7th. And how about Facebook and other social media? It's all the same handle, varatifyera. Very good. All right, tell us please, what is that most important thing that you want us to take away from this campaign? 
from from the desire for gender equality in the land and in the law of the land. Why should we? Tell us. Gender discrimination is still occurring. Government gender discrimination is still occurring. And all we have to do is talk about untested rape kits. That we, we can point proof positive to evidence that there is government discrimination against women. And we need to be willing to do something about it. Okay. And also we mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, when I asked you about health care and medical treatment and the health studies, you said government money pays for these things that are geared toward men. I think we want to make clear that government money comes from the taxpayers. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right then. Well, Katie, my goodness, Katie Hornung, the campaign coordinator for Virginia's statewide nonpartisan grassroots Virginia Ratify ERA, that's V-A, Ratify, E-R-A dot org. And the organization has just successfully gotten the General Assembly in the Commonwealth of Virginia to ratify, to be the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. But the work goes on. Katie, thank you so very much for being on the show. It's always a pleasure and always a a great um, uplifting education, even though it's also a challenge to all of us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All the best. Bye. Bye now. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord the earth. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Yes, the Lord is greatly to be praised. Honor and majesty are before him. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. A new USA, post-impeach Trump, pre-pardoned Stone, and infighting Democrats. Undoubtedly, everyone has heard what salivating corporate talking heads think we should think about Mike Bloomberg's first encounter with an audience who talks back. Whomever we feel can mute the new self-elevated chief law enforcement officer of the land of the free, Trump's Las Vegas tainted stand-up lowered the curtain on America's democratic and small-d democratic process. 
as long as we succumb to media how to watch political events and pundits PSing nationally televised debates to ensure what they think they saw is what any mentally sound, hearing perfectly human with 2020 vision, would and should absorb, regurgitate in grateful chorus with the over-the-hill inhabitants, lock-stocked and branded USDA-approved, yet hardly mentioning the incompetent incumbent. Truth is, the last three hours of 19 February 2020, the Achilles' heel of the leading Democratic candidates for president were exposed to the emperor with no clothes. Most notably, the all-too-personal venom between Buttigieg and Klobuchar, who lost her usual cool focus when caught between two frontal attackers, a political office she obviously sees beneath hers, and a disproportionately inappropriate Vanessa Hook, proving she is indeed beneath Klobuchar's expertise. I've never been a fan of Amy Klobuchar, but as a radio news producer anchor, I believe those choosing media professionally, especially in the Trump era, need to maintain their footing on the path of Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite. On-camera notables did get that Biden did better than ever, but not that Trump won the night, with my first choice at first, Elizabeth Warren, a close second, while hardly unseating cool carpetbagger Bloomberg, any more than Buttigieg's well-rehearsed bazooka shot across the two extreme choices of Democratic primary voters, one candidate who wants to burn this party down and another candidate who wants to buy this party out. As I'm still influenced by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, and Martin Luther King, Jr., I believe such short-sighted overkill always backfires on our collective greater good. Choosing, for whatever reason, to allow others to define us doesn't spare anyone that inopportune moment when the accumulation of what we think, say, and do reveals our true selves to the world. So please, seize the day. Consider the flaunted criminality of Rudy Giuliani, Bill Barr, Mitch McConnell, Pardon and Computation's DOJ usurper Jared Kushner, presidential ass-coverer Roger Stone, and the Don's awardees Mike Pence, Rush Limbaugh, and Richard Grinnell. Not this list of the trumped, nor indeed Nevada, were even offered up as token hors d'oeuvres at the debate. While Senator Warren did not win me back, she did prepare Mike Bloomberg for round two by knocking him back a pole digit or two and reminded Americans who truly listen not only how damaging health insurance executives and Supreme Court-sanctioned Citizens United PACs pretending corporations are people are diminishing America's constitutional willpower, but that teachers are most responsible for uplifting the power of Americans to reason, indeed to think uninhampered by 24-7 analysts. The new reality show America, created by Taft's Little Brown Brothers, Hoover's cow-like silence producing voluminous Hoovervilles, Nixon's Saturday night massacre of America's rule of law, Reagan's full trickle-down, one-issue voters' response to Oro in the Oval, Bush-Cheney-Wolfowitz's forever mushroom-cloud oil wars, is now in sight of a fast-approaching swampy bottom to the proverbial slippery slope, where now, beckoning to us to join them, resides those who believe everything they see on any screen and still knowingly elect a Republican Party divorced from the great emancipator and now joined at the hip to a jackass pardon power abuser. As for Bernie, 
He still ignites memories of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and how I wept even while reporting from the Pennsylvania Convention Center in 2016 when he conceded to his Democratic rival, asking all to support Hillary Clinton. As then, so now. I would love to see a President Bernie Sanders, but in a world where America cannot survive a second Trump administration, not to mention the possibility of Trump's refusing to vacate the White House when reason regains Franklin's republic to keep it. We cannot afford to give the Don's tainted Las Vegas fair system stand-up the sledgehammer he needs to finish off America's dreams and dreamers. Although Donald Trump is forever more mob boss than American president, the invasion of Putin's 2016-2020 hackers is partners with the domestic corruption of our nation's electoral process to cut off America's nose to spite the Democratic Party's face. Unscrupulous Donald Trump is still electable in the swing battleground states, so middle-class Democrats and union members shall we gather at the Red Sea of Adelson, Coke, and Mercer family packs Drown in corporatism's states red-mapped with gerrymandered districts? Join the 12% who voted for Sanders in 2016 Democratic presidential primaries, but in general election voted for Trump-Pence? Or shall we finally become true patriots and put away such childish things? Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.